Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Heavenly Father, we uh, look to you and we look to your Word. I would ask that you would speak to each of us, even myself, speak through me, open our hearts to all that you would have for us today, Jesus, in your name, amen. You may be seated. So continuing our series about everything I needed to learn, I learned in Sunday school. And today and next week, I want to look at the life of Moses. So I'm going to look at like three pictures, three times from the life of Moses that have to do with water, that have to do with water. I'm going to look at Moses in the bulrushes, and then I'm going to look at Moses parting the Red Sea, and I'm going to look at Moses and the bitter water the Mara, the bitter water. And it's kind of interesting because if you know the story of Moses, you understand that it's connected to the story of Joseph. Joseph had gone to Egypt because he was sold as a slave and he was in in prison and then all the way to the second highest spot in the land. And he was highly favored and the Israelites were highly favored. But a few 400 years go by and what happens, right? It says Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. They did what Genesis said, be fruitful and multiply, and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king out of Egypt who did not know Joseph. By the way, that'll be our story too, you know. Do you know anything about your great, 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 great grandparents? No, no. And they forgot Joseph. We didn't, but they did. And then look what the the Pharaoh says. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. And the interesting thing is I was um, reading a commentary on this. The Hebrew word that's translated them is literally it. Isn't that interesting? Come, let us deal with it. Those ones that are multiplying, right? Because if they would join our enemies, right? What would happen to us? Because they're like bugs here. And I started thinking about how they dehumanized the Israelites. They stopped them from being human. They became its to them. And isn't that what happens in our world today with those people? People become dehumanized, don't they? I've heard it said, a good stigma licks a good dogma any day. What does that mean? If you can just stigmatize somebody, you don't have to listen to truth, right? Because you can just hold on to that stigma. If you can make them an it, Nelson Mandela said, we, when we dehumanize and demonize our opponents, we abandon the possibility of peacefully resolving our differences and seek to justify violence against them. And this is happening all the time, isn't it? And I would like to go, it's always just those other people that do it, but the seeds of that itness are in my heart. Have you ever had uh, somebody offend you? Maybe somebody um, did something, said something, and you got like a little bit of bitterness? Did you ever notice what you do when somebody uh, hurts your feelings or offends you? First, you might actually start gossiping about them. You may not go to them, of course, because that would be the right thing to do. You're going to go to everybody else and build this cadre of people who believe like you or talk them into that. But you know what you're also going to do? You're going to take their characteristics and you're going to exaggerate them. 
You make a character of them. So, so like Jerry Seinfeld, that's what he looks like. But if you have bitterness towards him, you're going to talk about how his head is shaped funny and his nose is... right. They may be attention deficit, and, and they can't do anything about it. But now you're going to start ragging on that. You're going to start hating those kind of things. I've seen it happen in marriage. I've seen it happen in work relationship, church relationships. You start kind of getting this internal grudge going and you when you talk to other people there's just like a little bit of attitude comes out do you see what happened they it's like you start slowly turning them into an it you take them out of the camp of human and you move them into the camp of kind of a an an it there And the trouble is, you and I, we have somebody that we see all their weaknesses, all their failures, and we tend to excuse that, and we tend to just live with us all the time, right? With me and with you, you accept yourself, at least at a certain level, and you see all your failures, and you continue to live your life because you have been given grace, you give grace to yourself, and we need to... Be people who give grace to others, unlike the Pharaoh. And the scripture goes on and says, Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. It's like they were true to Genesis. It was almost like bugs. Did you ever try to get rid of cockroaches, right? Right? My dad, had a, he had a hotel for uh, chipmunks in his attic. <laughs> yeah, he had, he had, you know, they, it was, the more he tried to get rid of them, the more they multiplied and spread abroad. And this is kind of the language here. And, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, of those its, of those people, right? So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, And they made their lives bitter with hard service in in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. Uh, In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, and you see on the birth stool, if it's a son, kill it. If it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. Can you imagine being a midwife and being assigned the task of murdering all the boys? You know, of course they lied and said uh, the women are like animals. They said vigorous, but the the word vigorous in Hebrew is a... Uh, The noun for that same word translated is animal. The Hebrew women are like animals and they give birth before we even get there, you know, they say back to the Pharaoh. And uh, I I was reading something by Tim Mackey and he, he said, his kingdom, this is Pharaoh's kingdom, epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his own interest that even murder of innocent children has become good to him. Pharaoh has redefined good and evil so that murder of innocent children has become good to him. So Egypt has become worse than Babylon from the book of Genesis. And so now Israel cries out for help against this new Babylon, the the Pharaoh, and God responds. 
And now comes in Moses. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. I'd hide my, hide my baby too. And, but when she could no longer hide him, she got him a wicker basket. Now, here's the interesting thing. So this is the translation. And on one hand, it's a good and true translation. She took reeds and she made a basket out of it. But can I tell you that the word for basket in Hebrew has, was used once before, and it was when Noah built a gopher basket, I mean a gopher ark. Right? It's the same word in Hebrew. The Hebrew reader coming across this word would all of a sudden go, ark. She made an, an ark. And look, what, did, what was the ark like? What was it covered on the inside with? Tar and pitch. So wait, you have an ark that saved people, and now you have another ark. All of a sudden, their mind is going, wait, something's going on here. And they put this baby in this little ark, and they covered it with tar, and then they put the child into it and set it out among the reeds into the bank of the Nile. Isn't it interesting that this command to kill the babies and to throw them into the Nile actually ends up saving all of Israel. Isn't it? I mean, think about that for a minute. So, so the Pharaoh is going to throw all the babies into the Nile, all the baby boys, and one baby gets put in a basket, and the waters of death, he passes through that, and he ends up being the, the savior of all of Israel. Can you think about anything similar to that? How something that brought death was the ark that brings life? You see, when God wanted to save the Israelites, what did he choose? He chose a baby. Isn't that interesting? You know, you go to the nursery, I see a whole parade of you guys going by. There's one right there. I don't think Savior, right? I don't think, you know, I just think, Lots of diapers and lots of crying, right? God bless parents, right? You know, but God's like, I am going to do a work, and I'm using a baby. I'm using a baby. And I couldn't help but think that when God wants to do a work in your life, what does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like a baby, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. God's like, I'm going to bring salvation to the world, and I'm going to do it through a baby, and I'm going to bring salvation into your life, but unless you're Nicodemus born again, you can't inherit the kingdom of God, unless you become like a baby. And what is he saying? You need to be needy. You need to be dependent. Most of our stories, many of them are stories of independence, and God brings us to our knees, and we say, I can't do it. I need a savior. I need you, Lord Jesus. I mean, isn't the way that God works is brings us back? And don't we come back to that babiness daily, right? I mean, isn't one of the first things you do, you need to do, I need to do every day is to come back, get in touch with my babiness and go, Lord, the world is screaming at me to do this, do that. My heart doesn't want to be still and know that you are God. 
and I'm utterly and thoroughly dependent on you. Lord, your word says, if I abide in you and you in me, I'll bear fruit, but apart from you, I can do nothing. And a baby being held by mom or dad, or a baby nursing from uh, his, his or her mom is dependent. And that's, that's a picture of us. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you would not come. I, I thought of this song by Rich Mullins, which could be thought of as a kind of a baby song. He says, sometimes my life just doesn't make sense at all. When the mountains look so big and my faith just seems so small, so hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaken like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Surrender doesn't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. And I beat my head against so many walls and I'm falling down. I'm falling down. He's saying I'm coming back to being held by you. And, and you know what's interesting? I, I, I thought of this scripture when I was thinking of babies because babies are utterly dependent but many times we try to have kind of a quid pro quo, a negotiation relationship with God. Song of Solomon, this, this love book of the Bible says, many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. If someone came to you and said, I would like to buy your love, you would probably say, I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. You're like, what? You're right? I mean, that's what you'd say because you'd be despised. You can't pay for love. But isn't that what we try to do when we're not baby-like with God? We're like, oh, God, I, I got to earn your appreciation. I got to earn. I got to do. I got to work. He's like, no, you just rest and respond. So the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket, the ark, that among the reeds, and she sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women? that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, go ahead. So who does she pick? So the girl goes and went and called the child's mother. Right? You know, like truth is stranger than fiction, isn't it? Mom's trying to re you know, rescue her child. He's, he's, a, he's getting big now, made this ark, puts it in. The child is brought back into her arms. Is that not... Is that not beautiful? Then Pharaoh's daughter says to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. By the way, I'll pay you. You'll be better off for this. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because I drew him out of the waters. And you know what's interesting? What happens to Moses on a micro level, is repeated, and it's what happens to Israel on a macro level. So the Bible is full of these themes, right? You have this picture, this thing of Moses, right? The thing that was supposed to bring death to all the children. Actually, Moses gets rescued because of that, through, through that, placed into Pharaoh's household, and he ends up being the one who brings salvation to everyone. 
And we are baptized into Christ. And what happens to Jesus happens to us. Paul says, we don't know what we'll be like, but we'll be like him. This is this theme that look at Moses, look what happened here, then look at Jesus, look what happened to him. You can ponder this for a lifetime. It's like the small and then the big. The next scene we see here is Moses. You have all these plagues, and I'll get into some of them next week. But Moses goes to Pharaoh with his brother Aaron, and he is now grown up, and he's going to deliver the children of Israel from, uh, from Pharaoh and from the oppression. And they go and they stand before him, and look what they say. Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should go and obey his voice and let him go? And they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three-day journey in the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, Pharaoh called himself God, didn't he? So all of a sudden, they're like, we want to worship our God. He's like, they should be worshiping me right? And you have this tension. And they're like, no, we want to sacrifice to our Lord. And he, they're kind to him. They say, he, otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and the sword. They're kind of including themselves in this to be nice to him. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labor. You know, I read that. I thought about how success many times can be as hard of a test as suffering. And you've got this successful Pharaoh, and Moses and Aaron come to him, and they're like, we want to go worship. And he's like, no. Because many times success, it, it, can, it can wean us from the dependency we have on God. I think Moses said later in Deuteronomy, hey, when you've got all this success, don't think that your hand did it. Don't let your hearts get hard. And, and I just want to warn us, because most of us in America, when we're hungry, we can go to Burger King, right? Or Chick-fil-A, or the grocery store, or all these that's being built across the street. Like, most of us here, we really aren't suffering. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, what you're really meaning is, I hope I can open the refrigerator door and somebody has filled it with food, right? Like, do you see what, like, we... We, we can become like Pharaoh. And I think we need to be able to say, Lord, are there things in my life where I've grown less baby-like and more Pharaoh-like? Where I've become less dependent, less acknowledging you, less, more entitled, less thankful? I mean, it's so interesting. I remember when I was in uh, sales and my uh, boss said to me, don't believe your own press. Don't believe your own press. And I opened a sales office in Pittsburgh, and I remember when I first opened it, my knees were knocking, and somebody said, oh, you'll never be successful here. There's just too much competition. And back then, all that was was like, you just lay down the gauntlet, buddy. You know, I'm going to show you, you know, because I had to prove my worth by my behavior. And, and uh, I remember how early on, I would always pray in elevators, pray for God's favor, pray for this. But, you know, after a while, after a couple years into it, I was confident, and I didn't pray so much in elevators. When you think about your life, how, how are you in your dependency on God, or have you become a little more like Pharaoh? And 
and less connected. I've been listening to a podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and there was this wonderful church that grew under the leadership of a guy who was a really good leader, but you know what success did? It, It hardened him. It took his natural giftings and it made, him, it, made it all out of, out of line and pride and ego and stuff. And I remember Jim Fenske and I went to a seminar in Columbus and that guy was the, the, the church of this. I mean, this church grew thousands of people, many thousands of people and many campuses and everything. And then it all just imploded. And one of the ways it imploded was plagiarism. And as you probably know, I I am probably one of Tim Keller's most unknown but biggest fans. And this guy gave these talks at this seminar, and all I was thinking was, wow, Tim Keller's really had an influence on him because he's just regurgitated his stuff back to us. But I like Tim Keller, so I like the content. But, you know, afterwards, when plagiarism came up and other things that that he had done wrong, I thought, you know, the guy should have said, I got a lot of this from Tim Keller. Right? And, And... and what happens is success many times can blind our eyes, right? Or it can make us even hungry for success. I read an article about Instagram, how it actually hurts girls' self-esteem. When they start looking at Instagram, a percentage of them feel worse about themselves than better. And they said Facebook leaked that information that they've known for years, and even if you do well in social media, it just creates within you this hunger to want more and more followers and more stuff, kind of creates this unhealthy, unhealthy relationship with social media and the people that you don't even know. Okay, going on. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart towards the people. And they said, what is it we have done? So, Fast forward now to the time where all the plagues have happened and the king of Egypt finally said, uncle, and let them go, except he changed his mind. And it says, you know what? Those bugs aren't going to get away. We're going to crush them. What have we done? We've let Israel go from serving us. So, they made, uh, so he made his chariots ready and took his people with him, and he took 600 select chariots, so he took like the king's excellent chariots, and then every other chariot in Egypt with officers all over them. So he took his whole army to capture these Israelites. And the Pharaoh drew near, and the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, And then they said to Moses, is it because we have no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Now, they had just saw all these miracles, but they don't care, right? They're afraid. And he said, they continued on, they said, is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. By the way, you never see that in the Bible except here. So you wonder if they're saying it for the first time or if they actually did say it. But Moses, he doesn't rebuke them. He says, fear not. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight 
for you while you keep silent. Is that not beautiful? Years ago, um, we, were, we were a new church. We didn't even have as many people as are in this gathering right now. And um, when I came to Community of Hope, somebody had kind of started Community of Hope, and then they had moved away, and the church was looking for a new pastor, and then they said, Doug, will you be that person? And I said, okay. And we had a couple years where we were supported by the offerings, but also the district gave us money. And I think in the third year, we, were, we did our budget, and we went before the district with our hands out, and we're, I don't know how much it was. It was like 10000 or 15000 whatever. We, we, had, we had an expectation to receive money from the district. And the district uh, met with us, and they looked at us, and they said, hmm, we're kicking you out of the nest. Time for you to fly. We're like, uh. And I remember Norm Pross and I were like, well, how do we balance the budget? We're just going to increase people's offerings. But, you know, we had a track record of offerings, and we estimated that, and we're like, we'll just... Well, we just trust God to bring in more. So instead of reducing the budget, we just increase the offering. Look, it balanced. Everybody is happy, right? <laughs> and, and then, and you know what? Fear not. The Lord will fight for you. Amen. I didn't tell anybody. And all of a sudden, offerings increased. I remember I was talking to a friend back then, and he, he said, you know, I started tithing. I started giving 10% of my income. I was listening to the radio, and I thought the guy was talking about tithing, and I thought, why don't I do that? So I did. And, like, I didn't say anything. The Lord just started moving on certain people's hearts to just like, to, to give more. The Lord will fight for you. Recently, my, um, my mother-in-law, she lives in Columbus, very big house, just too much for one person. She's done a great job through the years, but she's 86. And, and we've, for the last few years, have thought, man, mom should downsize. But what do you do? Do you, like, do, you, do, you, do you make it happen? So we've been praying. Maybe three, four weeks ago, she says to Gretchen's brother, you know, I think I'm going to sell my house and downsize. Gretchen's brother calls us. goes, guess what mom just said? We're like, really? So Gretchen and I are walking the dog, and we're walking past this condo owned by a friend of Gretchen's that we've known since 1995. And um, I said, uh, you know, the person who lives there uh, is the owner's son, and he and his wife are moving out. They've built a house. I don't know when they're moving out. Why don't you text her and see what she's doing with it? We text her that same day. She says, uh, he moved out today, we're putting on the market. This is a five-minute walk from my house. Perfect for my mother-in-law. And guess what? She's buying it, it's happening. You know, the Lord will fight for you. Like, he, he works behind the scenes. I, so many times, do you think of these times in your life, you look back and you're like, wow, look what God did, look what God did. You know, I graduated from high school uh, kids don't listen to this, with a 1.68 GPA. <laughs> you know, when I went to high school as a freshman, I really didn't... Uh, I, uh, education was not high on my list. Can I say that? I, I'm, not, I'm embarrassed to tell you this story. Happy to do it some other time. Some of you already know. Uh, I, now, it did. I came to know the Lord in high school. You can see things went up, but it's hard to pull up very, very low grades in summer school um, every year. So... Uh, 
So my brother, my older brother, graduated with like a 2.5. He didn't have uh, academics in his mind either, but he did better than me. And he applied to Hiram College. And they said, no, your GPA's not too high. I applied to Hiram College, 1.68, and they accepted me provisionally. The wrestling coach's wife was in the admissions office. I took fourth and stayed in wrestling. You know, there's always extenuating circumstances. But God wanted me there. And he wanted to use me while I was there. And he wanted, like, like, and the Lord will fight for you. Like, the Lord opened the door. And, and, and so many times, I think we need to hear this in our lives. Sometimes there's two ways to get what God wants in your life. And one is manipulation. And the other is ministry. And manipulation is where you stick your hands in, you start turning the things and making it happen. And ministry is just faithfully serving and thinking of others higher than yourself and watching God do that work. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land. Do you hear creation a little bit? How God separated the waters, right? And then you remember Noah, how God took these separated waters and brought them back together and and took care of and had waters of judgment. And the sons of Israel went through the sea on dry land. He separated the waters for them. And the waters were like walls to them on the right hand and on the left. And then the Egyptians took up pursuit. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Do you see this picture of, of Noah again? See Noah and how God had at creation separated the waters. And then with Noah, he brought the waters back together. And here you have the separation of waters and now the waters of judgment coming back together. Do you see how the thing that, that brought life also brought death? And it's a little picture, a little reenactment of what happened with Moses, when he was in the ark, and thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses, and Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and rider hurled into the sea. Isn't that the response of of gratitude and of thanksgiving? Let's say, for example, that the Browns won the Super Bowl, right? Right, Eddie? Would you sing a song? Yeah, you'd get up here and do a solo probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, Heather's like, no, don't. But, it, but the reality is he might. He might actually do it, even if he doesn't sing as well as his son, right? You know, like, because we in Cleveland have been deprived for a few years, right? And even last week, man, they could have just, couldn't they have just like 
put the B team or the C team in or something, you know, had people from the stands play a little bit against, you know, give us a, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, like we would truly sing for joy, us Browns fans. If you're Steelers fans, I'm sorry, okay. But we would sing for joy. And yet we have a Savior who defeated death. He defeated death by death. And we sing for joy. Right? I mean, when you, th- when you think about it, here in this situation, God used this might and this power. But Jesus on the cross, he confounded everybody. Because he's like, you know what? You deserve not to be in the ark, but you deserve to be the people that the water crushed. Right? He's like, you guys are just like the Egyptians who the water came and destroyed. And Jesus said, I will take that punishment for you so you can live forever with me. I mean, we have somebody who defeated death by death. He conquered by weakness. And he did it for us. He took our place on the cross and he... God so loved the world that he gave Jesus for you and for me. And if that doesn't move us to sing, something's wrong inside of us. We've become a little bit callous like Pharaoh. It would be why Jesus, every time we do communion, he's like, hey, don't forget. Like, remember, remember. And we say thank you for that. And this is truly connected to the last picture of water because then Moses, these people saw this great power and they went three days. That's about my memory span too. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Sur and they went three days into the wilderness. So it's dry. There's no water. It's a desert. It doesn't look like that over there. It looks much different. There aren't a lot of trees. And when they came to Mara, which means bitter, they could not drink the waters of Mara bitter before they were mara bitter therefore the name was mara in hebrew it reads like this when they came to bitter they could not drink the waters of bitter for they were bitter therefore they named it bitter so the people grumbled at moses saying what shall we drink and he cried out to the lord and the lord showed him a tree now the niv says a branch but the hebrew says a tree And he threw it into the waters, and they became sweet. So the waters of death, when you throw a tree into it, become the waters of life. And they drink. And then the next scene is beautiful. It's like the cross brings us into paradise. The next scene they have is in this place called Elam, where there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camp there. It's like, it's like you got to get through the cross and drink from the river of life in order to get to the garden. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for connecting us to you. That when we were baptized into you, we were baptized into your death, and baptized into your life, that we are connected to you, Lord Jesus. And I think if I'm honest, and if we're all honest, we've got that Pharaoh inside of us that, that wants to be its own God, and it's good now to say I'm sorry, 
Have mercy on us, O Lord. And continue to lead us into that childlikeness, the beauty and dependency, trusting that you will fight for us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.